catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, today, we continue down our 25-year uh, reliving of Ravens history. And today we're going to talk about a couple of free agent wide receivers. Uh, actually, not a free agent. One is a free agent. The other was acquired actually by trade. Uh, but here to do that with me is Alan Frankel. Alan, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. How about you? 
Uh, life's good. I, I run into you on Twitter and, and I now interact with you fairly regularly in terms of uh, uh, having a voice on the Ravens. It's interesting to, to see in person for the first time and uh, get to talk football a little bit with this uh, one of these 25 years pods. So let's let's set the stage a little bit on where the Ravens were with receivers. And so they had good receivers in the early years with with Derek Alexander and Michael Jackson uh, matched up with Testa Verde. Then they really had quite a dark period. Yeah, no, when you think about the receivers, you think about Travis Taylor and the, really the player that comes to mind when you think of them is really, you really think of Todd Heap, who was a tight end and all the Heap chants that went on through the stadium through all those years. And, you know, Travis Taylor didn't have the impact they expected. Uh, Mark Clayton also didn't have the impact that they expected. It's just a list, you know, Robbins, Marks Robinson, just a list of guys that just really paled in comparison to their their one tight end, which is pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they did. Uh, uh, Frank Sanders was another uh, wide receiver they went out and paid some money for, and and that didn't work out either. Marcus Robinson had one big game for the Ravens. Uh, they tried other players. Demetrius Williams, a kind of a deep threat that they got in the 2003 draft. Uh, they had others, but uh, uh, Brandon Stokely, uh, Patrick Johnson did not work out. A second round pick that was kind of a high cost uh, failure. We certainly had some more. Uh, recent well-known failures in the way of Brashad Perriman, but the acquisition of Derek Mason in 2005 for the Tennessee Titans was kind of a turning point at wide receiver for the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, when you think about his first, you know, his first years are with Kyle Bowler and, you know, he played well for us. He had some really, some good, so had a good season under him. But when I think about Mason, I think about how fortunate Joe Flacco was to come onto a team that already had Derek Mason. And it's something which, when you look at, you know, the other quarterbacks that played for the Ravens, maybe things could have gone a little differently if they had a veteran, a guy like Derek Mason there who just experienced, could get open. You can rely on him on, on third down type of plays, clutch situations. Uh, he must have been a huge, huge boost just for Flacco's transition and really getting a foothold in the league. Very much. Uh, Mason was a guy that had a couple of routes. He really ran. He, he didn't run a lot of in the middle of the field, but he ran a little 10-yard hitch on the outside where he would uh, come back for that back shoulder throw. And that was something uh, immediately that Flacco and he had great timing on, getting that back shoulder throw. So it was on the way even before Mason came out of his break and, and was almost un- indefensible. Yeah, that route is one that... Uh, having, I actually played quarterback for a very long time. And one thing that's really important is that your receiver understands when the corner is starting to take his steps back, that momentum, kind of that flip, first flip of the hips. And Mason seemed to have a real natural knack for knowing that moment. And Flacco could really, really bank on him even late in a play. If there was a deep comeback, he could bank on that being open and look somewhere else first and then always be able to go back to Derek on that specific route in question. And what's interesting about Mason is that he started out, he was played, you know, he had some returns. He used to be a return guy in the old AFC Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played against us a whole bunch. Um, and he, all, all sorts of routes. I mean, he doesn't run a ton over the middle, but there's a few, you know, scores on like bang eight type of slants and short, I guess you call them a skinny post. But really it's the stop routes that were his bread and butter, little quick outs, outbreaking stop routes, that type of route was really uh, really the, the go-to play for the Ravens a lot on third down. When, when they needed it most, for sure, and dur- throughout the Flacco era in general. Mm-hmm. A lot of people maybe don't realize this about Derek Mason, but he had eight 1,000-yard seasons in a, in a long career, frankly, a, a career that lasted, what, 16 years, I guess, in the NFL, or maybe it was 15. 
Yeah, it looks yeah. like it was 15 years. Uh, he played the game until he was 37 years old. Yeah, he was he was around for really just for a very long time. And really everywhere he went, you saw his his impact. I mean, with Tennessee, he started out there for four years. By year five, he's pretty much a consistent 1,000-yard receiver until about 2010. So we're talking 2001 to 2010, he's pretty much over 1,000 yards every year. Yeah. In fact, he never was lower than 750 during that entire time. And that's very hard to do, folks. That's to, to get, you know, basically average 50 yards a game or more every single season is uh, is a remarkable uh, set. Never had the really gaudy yards per target numbers, but in his first two big years at Tennessee in 2000, 2001, uh, he was over 10 yards per target, which is something I definitely look for. Uh, his Ravens years were never as good. His topped out in his Ravens years at 8.6 in the first Flacco year in 2008. So, uh, you know, a good player with the Ravens, a great player with Tennessee, frankly, when he was there. Uh, he he certainly was there to solidify that offense for the Ravens in 2008 that had other other things they did well. They had a great offensive line on that team. They had Todd Heap. Um, you know, they had uh, a running game with three different running backs who were providing the same sort of running game that they probably had, you know, in 19 and 20 to a certain degree. Yeah, that's the year with the Dallas game, right? Yep. With those three guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that I mean that game in particular is to me the singular Derek Mason game. When I think about the the, the plays that I remember from Mason, you know, it's the touchdown in the end zone against Dallas. It's the Tennessee touchdown. A couple others come to mind, but those are the two big ones. And, and the reason why the the Dallas game to me is the number one Mason highlight is because it shows what kind of a player he was, what kind of players the Ravens bring in in free agency, and. I'm not going to go on a whole Odell Beckham tangent, but I have a lot of friends that are Browns fans. So I watch a lot of Browns games and there was a game this year against Denver where he hurts his shoulder and he's out of the game for five or six plays. It it was very difficult not to contrast that with Derek Mason's one shoulder catch in the back corner of the end zone and just think the difference between these two guys, just fantastic. It's a total, it's a totally different world. Yeah, Mason also fell on a fumble in that game that really saved the Ravens' bacon, and and it's just his recovery on that is remarkable. Uh, some of that's right place, right time, but but to recover a fumble with one arm is very difficult in an NFL pile too. If you get uh, if if that happens to you, okay. Uh, now we we move forward a little bit from the Mason acquisition to 2010, and there's actually only one overlap, one overlapping year between these players, but Anquan Bolden. Uh, is acquired by the Ravens. I think they got they acquired him for a fourth and a fifth round pick or a third and a fifth round pick. I'm trying to remember what it was. Might have been a third and a fourth actually. But uh, you know, not insignificant amount of draft capital for the Ravens to give away. But they felt, I guess, that their years of of attempting to draft wide receivers really hadn't worked out. Yeah, I mean, Bolden. When you think about it, you go back to the Owens trade, which I know you did a 25 years on before. Yeah. Um, really the physically the most talented receiver probably in Ravens history that I think that we've had throughout time. Uh, and you can, his, his impact and his size and speed were immediate in how, in, in the way that they changed the offense, because when you have a guy like Bolden, who can be a vertical threat, he can hit you in any one-on-one situation. All of a sudden, it opens things up for other guys around him. Uh, when you have that first guy, you could kind of be the point man and drag double coverage and things like that. And although those weren't necessarily super explosive passing offenses, they were able to have, I would say, moments of explosivity because of Anquan Bolden and Torrey Smith. 
Yeah, I think I think the explosive component about it, I'd say I'd assign more to Torrey Smith, but Bolton, a very reliable receiver for the Ravens, uh, very physical receiver. Some of the things he played through in Arizona in terms of having his jaw broken and whatnot and still being on the field uh, are amazing. And then what I remember most probably about the 2012 Super Bowl run is Bolden taking the ball away from defensive backs on third and one in the Super Bowl in the back of the end zone against New England, uh, in the back of the end zone right side against the Colts uh, on the on that touchdown pass. But just play after play where basically had a vice-like grip on the football and that defensive back didn't dare leave his arm in there. Yeah, so Anquan was interesting because I actually got first time we ever saw Anquan Bolden was with um, was with Jeff Blake in Arizona in the famous Ed Reed pump block game, and all, all I hear the whole game is Greg Gumble saying Quan Bolden doing this, Quan Bolden doing that, the rookie Anquan Bolden, and he is just you can just see he's just kind of running a little bit roughshod through our team. And a fun fun little fact about Bolden and Mason, uh, Mason played against us for years in the AFC Central. In three games against us, Anquan Bolden almost had as many yards and had actually one more touchdown in those three games. So he really was a, a trouble for us. And honestly, guys like him, you know, I think about, you know, when you think about young Anquan Bolden, you can get a little bit of a look of maybe a little bit like an A.J. Brown kind of guy after the catch who can hurt you a little bit. Not necessarily maybe the same top end speed, but just a guy who can just tough to bring down once he has the ball in his hands. And the highlights just show him kind of bouncing off guys a lot of the time. Yeah, a, a good red zone target. Um, you know, a guy who, who definitely would go physical at the catch point. You know, there have been a lot of pretenders in that area over the years. Michael Crabtree has been one. Uh, Des Bryant certainly in his tour with the Ravens, however brief, was supposed to be a you know a, a catch point guy. The only guy the Ravens have ever really ever had who I thought was just outstanding at the catch point, or, or the best by far. Let me say is Anquan Bolden. I, you know, it's difficult for me to imagine them getting another player. Uh, who would be in that league. Yeah, I mean, he's just one of those unique guys. And when I started, when I was talking a little bit more about his explosivity and one-on-one, it's that he can, if he's on the, the only guy on one part of the field, you can almost lob it up in his general direction and he can go up and get it. So all of a sudden, you want to guard Tory with an extra safety. Maybe you want somebody to help on the tight ends who Flacco was always targeting and you want to help against Rice in the flat. And then... You, you cover all those guys and he just throws it up to Bolden and you're like, oh, shoot, I've got this 5'10 corner trying to go up against this physical specimen. And it's just like, what, what, what do you want us to do? That team always, always liked that offense because of how many different guys could make plays in space. And um, it was that was a really fun team to watch, even though I know that they weren't a super explosive and have big yardage totals. But they had a lot of guys that could really hurt you. They were a very diverse offensive attack. It was, it was a really fun team. Yeah, they, they, they definitely did have some weapons they could use. They, the 2012 team in particular, uh, you know, it's interesting you mentioned like going up for the ball in space. To me, it's like uh, the space for Anquan means he's got one-on-one coverage and it's always pretty tight. No, he's, he was never like wide open. He did have some crossing stuff in the in the eleven playoff game against New England. He drove him up the field with four straight receptions uh, to get him into Lee Evans territory and Billy Cundiff territory. But but it was uh, uh, most of the time, or a lot of the time anyway. It was it was Bolden. Uh, he either had to pick his way free, 
or pick a rub meaning, or or he would maybe get through free on an extended play in the end zone sometimes. But a lot of times he was just throwing up the ball in, in single coverage and he had to go up and get the football. That led to a catch rate that I think people will look at years from now and say, it's not a particularly good catch rate, but it really was a, most of his catches were contested. Yeah, I, I'm a, I enjoy stats. I work as an analyst. I, I, I look at stats all, all day. But one thing that I always kind of try to keep track of is the context. And with Bolden, like you said, it's a lot of catches. But the thing that really struck me about Anquan Bolden, it's something I've looked for in receivers when guys come up. That's why I mentioned uh, A.J. Brown, um, shoulder width. Shoulder, mm-hmm. if you have wide shoulders, it gives you immediate box separation out. on any outbreak or box out sort of style play. Yeah. Uh, it was something like even if you have a guy who's 5'10", if you've got those big wide shoulders over the shoulder, you create a lot of space laterally for the ball to drop mm-hmm. into. And on the sides, on corner routes, fades, any sort of time where you have, you're between you, you only person is between is you and the sideline um, or any sort of boundary, you give yourself an advantage. And when I think of Bolden, I think of a lot of plays towards a boundary. I think of a back boundary play over the middle in the end zone, you know, the touchdowns against San Francisco and New England and even Kansas City earlier, I saw it again in a highlight package. So you think about, when you think Bolden, I just think boundary. All plays that are by the boundary, he has a big advantage. Yeah, it's a, a shoulder width is a good is a good measure. Arm length also helps a receiver in that case who's going up for the football. But th- this is a this is a key thing for cornerbacks too. And we we love Chris Westry now because he's got fabulously long arms, and the Ravens have typically liked those aircraft carrier corners. Sean Wade had this too, by the way. And I was kind of sick that they traded him away. But um, what that allows you to do is when you're in tight coverage with a receiver. To get to get your hand in an extra two inches into the body or an extra inch and a half into the receiver's body, very significant advantage. Uh, you know, all of the rules favor the offensive player in terms of not having that con- contact made early. So the defender has to be careful still about just being close and not being, uh, you know, on his back. But the extra arm length really matters. And in the same sense, just you know, conversely, that shoulder width uh, you know gives a, a, a big body tight end a, a Kelsey or a uh, Andrews even or other other players who are, are wide shoulder like Bolden an opportunity to defend that and box it out. So I, it, it, both characteristics worth looking at. Yeah, well, um, Westry's now really looking forward to seeing him in some some covered threes. Sure, he's, yeah. he's he profiles a great outside cover three guy. But also like when I think like Bolden and Mason kind of tying those two guys together, you see just a lot of being willing to sacrifice for the team. Bolden's got I mean you look at Bolden's stats, he's got two thousand yard years in Arizona. Um, in 08 and 09, then three straight years under a thousand yards um, with the Ravens, followed by two more in thousand yard seasons. You see the catches go up in San Francisco again. The catches go up in Arizona. Uh, go we're up in Arizona. They're kind of down in the middle in Baltimore. And I think it really speaks to the type of guys the Ravens try to bring in. And I think that you're starting. I think teams now are really starting to pay attention to that culture with guys, you know, always saying I'm going to leave or this that and tending to social media. Uh, Mason and Bolden, just quiet cats getting things done on the field. It's hard to imagine to, you know, to think that when they were bringing in Bolden and talking about bringing him in after dealing with Owens and that type of stuff, that they were, they saw Bolden. They're like, Oh, this guy's just like Derek Mason. This is the guy we're looking for. We've had one of these before. We understand it. And you can see a consistent line of thought that goes through the Ravens organization and, and the type of, just the type of players that they get when you have, ownership that's stable, GM that's stable, you start to see similar profiles of guys coming onto the team um, with the similar levels of success. And, and you really could see that with Bolden and Mason, which is really why I wanted to tie them together because they 
really remind me a lot of each other in spite of their separate individual play styles. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they certainly have some similarities in that. And, and there have been other players since who I think don't necessarily embody the, the view the same way. Uh, it's Steve Smith, a guy who definitely needed to have the football. Uh, wanted to have it more, was vocal about sometimes not having the football. Not Terrell Owens vocal, but vocal. Um, and uh, but, but there were similarities on them in that he, despite his size, was you know one of the toughest guys on the team in terms of, of fighting for a football. Marshall Yandai, I remember him at the podium once and, and asked him, who's the guy you don't want to get a, 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 in a fight with on the team? There have been some chippy practices and whatnot. And he said, I don't know, probably Steve Smith. <laughs> that was funny. You got us going. Yeah, no, Steve. The thing about Steve Smith that always was great about him was it wasn't just he always did want the ball. He definitely was a little bit more of that type of a player. But a guy physically just laid it all out on the field in so many different ways. I always wanted his jersey, that black Carolina Panthers jersey. Those are really cool. Uh, but he he really like just embodied that attitude. He was fantastic watching him. He also he just had great. Great speed, even though he, when he was younger, when he was older, he still had like that Deshaun Jackson style kind of separation in a way. Like he always seemed to be able to read the ball a little quicker. He was mm-hmm. a really, really great receiver. Different for sure than Mason and Bolden, but similar in the veteran, tough guy, physical, lay it on the field, no matter what kind of player. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, other comments about Mason Bolden relative to current receivers or, or which you'd rather have maybe right now? The, the guy I'd rather have is, is Bolden, uh, if, I, if I could have one of those guys, because you pairing Bolden with Hollywood, Bolden as a blocker on this team would be oh, tremendous. Yeah. We didn't really talk about blocking uh, in, this, in, this, in these, either of these guys' cases yet, but, but really what separates Bolden from Mason to me and what I think made him a, a better player overall was his ability to be the number one, the number one guy down the field when you needed him, although he didn't have necessarily the blazing speed when he got here. He, he could be your my first read tier, and then I can move on. They have, to, they have to account for him no matter what. I think the teams at a certain level looked at Mason and said, okay, he hurts us for 10, 12, 15 yards. Maybe if we let him one-on-one, he does beat us on some sort of stop and go, or we, he, he'll right. figure something out in his own late breaking. But he's not going to be the point man who's going to be – like the, I would not consider Mason to be the point receiver in a top-10 offense. I right. just wouldn't. Well, they had their they inherited roles based on the personnel who was here at the time. You mentioned Todd Heap, but Mark Clayton is kind of a forgotten guy in this. It, he was still there and still getting a fair number of targets, certainly a lot of snaps. And he was a guy who who really had more of a speed when when they would run the boot. He was typically the deep guy, not a not a shallow guy, uh, not a not a crossing from the opposite side of the field guy. So, uh, you know, they they it it really restricted the number of times that Bolden could go deep. And yet I remember on the first play of that 2010 season, in his first game with the Ravens, if I recall his very first play of the season, they threw a deep pass complete to Bolden uh, in his first play in Baltimore. Yeah. The ball against the, the jets, I think uh, the game that sticks out to me, obviously with all my friends from Cleveland was the three touchdown game against the Browns where he just kind of just was all over the place. Yeah. Um, and even though even though they had other speed targets at the time, it's it's that ability to play at three levels, and I really felt that he had that ability a little bit more than Mason. Okay. All right. Well, Alan, we appreciate having you on. Uh, tell folks again uh, where they can uh, follow you on Twitter. 
So you can follow me on Twitter, Alan Frankel three. You can see me, uh, I'll give a giving Ken a plug on his own podcast here where uh, you'll see me tweeting a lot on, on Ken's Twitter as replies to a lot of the, the daily updates with the Ravens. And sometimes you can catch me. There's a great YouTuber, um, all 22. He has a YouTube. He does Ravens film breakdowns. I don't know. Have you seen this stuff, Ken? I have not, but I'll give it a look if you, if you send me a link. Yeah, happy to send you a link. He, he's been doing some really good video breakdowns. He has a film room every Saturday night. So you can catch me commenting. I'll be in the comment section there uh, every once in a while. He's got some great stuff. All right. Uh, folks, if you're out there and you want to do a 25 years episode, I still have about 8 to 10 to, to record now. We did a bunch today. Uh, but hit me up with a, on Twitter. DMs are open. What your idea is. We want to narrowly focus things so we can get into some depth in 20 minutes. You heard how we talked about Bolden and Mason here. That's the kind of depth we want to get into. So it ha- necessarily has to be a fairly narrow topic. So if you want to talk about the Ravens defense, since they were around, that that's not going to work. Or Ravens Mount Rushmore is a little too hackneyed. So Give us, a, give us a topic that's narrow, and we'll get into some real depth on it. Alan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks so much, Ken. It was really great being on with you. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.